And we'll be reading two portions of God's Word this morning. First, John chapter 10, verses 11 to 15, and then Psalm 23, which will be our text for the sermon this morning. So hear now God's Word from John chapter 10 and Psalm 23. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he was not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Hear now God's word from Psalm 23. The inspired title, A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, my You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. And we'll pray now in preparation for the preaching of the word. Let's pray. O gracious God and Father, we thank you that we have a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who does so graciously lead us from green pastures all the way through the valley of the shadow of death and even to your own presence, the house of the Lord, where we, though we deserve it not, have the promise that we will dwell with Him forever. We thank you for the great truths of your word. We thank you for the precious promises that are contained therein. We pray that you would give us light this morning, that you would illuminate the dark recesses of our hearts, that you would build us up in faith and hope and love, that you would help us to see something of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would exalt him, that you would glorify him, that you would make him manifest to us, though we see him not with our eyes, yet we pray that we would see him with eyes of faith. We pray that you would lift him up, that he might increase and that we might decrease this morning, that you'd fill our hearts with love for him as we consider that he is the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep and who has laid his life down for us who believe on Him. We pray now, Father, that You would give us understanding, that You would cause Your Word to be planted deeply within our souls, that we might live our lives for Your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 23 is probably 
one of the most familiar and recognizable passages in the entire Bible. It's one of the first passages that we teach our children. Many find comfort, many have found comfort over the centuries in this psalm as as death draws near. Psalm 23 reminds us that death awaits, and yet death in Psalm 23 is but a shadow. It's the valley of the shadow of death. And so that shadow overhangs us. Even God's people groan in this world. As I'll be preaching tonight at my own congregation in Virginia Beach, I'll be preaching from verse 4 of this psalm. That shadow of death hangs over us all throughout our lives. And yet, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that it is but a shadow that He has overcome death, that He has gone before us, and He has taken the substance of it upon Himself for us, and that we have no need for fear. You may remember that this was the psalm that was recited by the passengers on Flight 93 just before it crashed into the ground in Pennsylvania on September 11, 2001. Even those with little knowledge of the Scriptures are familiar with Psalm 23. And probably because the words are so comforting. And yet, the truth also remains that those who are not in the Lord Jesus Christ, who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, who don't have Him as their Good Shepherd, really cannot enjoy this comfort. They need to come to Him as their comfort. And so hopefully, as we go through, you'll see how important it is that we know Him truly for ourselves. So we recognize that this is a familiar song. We also recognize that being familiar with the truth isn't the same thing as actually experiencing the life of the truth in our hearts. And my hope for all of you this morning is that if you have never experienced the life of the truth in your hearts, that the Lord might be gracious and shine that light in your hearts this morning. Martin Luther said that Christianity is a faith of personal pronouns. I, me, my. He meant that to be a Christian is not the same thing as believing about God or believing about Jesus Christ. Even the demons believe about Jesus Christ and they tremble. But it's not the same thing as believing in Jesus Christ. You can believe about Jesus without believing in Jesus. To be a Christian is to believe in Jesus, or the language of the New Testament is even more explicit, to believe into Jesus. A Christian says, Christ is mine and I am Christ's. I belong to Him. He is my Savior. He is my Shepherd. He is my Lord. It's a, it's a faith of personal pronouns. It's that, that kind of personal language that makes Psalm 23 a psalm that resonates so profoundly in the hearts of God's people. But you see, if you can't say, He is mine and I am His, He is in me and I am in Him. God is my God. Because Jesus Christ is my Christ, my Savior. If you're not able to say that truly from the heart, then you're not able to receive the comfort that's here in this psalm. It's that kind of personal language 
that resonates in the hearts of God's people. Psalm 23 reveals to us, it teaches us the reality of a personal God who unites himself with us, who stoops down to care for us and to make himself known to us and to guide us to the deepest and most intimate communion with himself. Psalm 23 really traces the story of the whole Bible. The Bible begins in a garden, or we might say in a pasture. And the Bible goes through a valley, the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, because sin has come and because we are all under the curse by nature. And the Lord leads us through that valley by His Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and brings us ultimately to a palace, to a mansion, or to many mansions, to a new creation. That's the story of the whole Bible. That's the story of Psalm 23. And what's so astonishing about Psalm 23 is the way that it shows how the transcendent Lord of all creation stoops down to become a gentle, lowly shepherd of wayward and wandering sheep. That's you and me. Because even if we're a believer, even if we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are still yet wayward, wandering sheep. Not only that, though, how He becomes my shepherd and my Lord personally. So what does it mean for us to be able to confess that the Lord is my shepherd? Not that He is a shepherd, not even that He is the shepherd, but rather, what does it mean to be able to confess that the Lord is my shepherd? My shepherd. That's what we want to consider this morning from this familiar portion of God's Word. What does it mean personally for me to be under the shepherding care of the Lord? Capital L O-R-D. That's the name of God in the Old Covenant. And why is it so important for me to know the Lord is my shepherd, not only intellectually and doctrinally, but personally and experientially? Well, Psalm 23 unfolds two aspects of the answer for us. First, it means that the Lord cares for me. And second, it means that the Lord will never leave me nor forsake me. We'll consider that this morning as we look at at this psalm in two points. First, the Lord shepherds His sheep, and second, the Lord saves His sheep. Let's look first at our first point. The Lord shepherds His sheep. Psalm 23 follows a pattern that's often found in the book of Psalms. This isn't the only psalm that follows this pattern. There are many psalms that follow this pattern. The first verse serves as a clue to unlocking the meaning of and understanding the rest of the psalm. It's right there in the first verse. In many psalms, the first verse functions as a kind of thesis statement. Maybe some of you know what I'm talking about when I say a thesis statement. You've got to, you've got to write a thesis paper, and so you've got a, a point that you want to prove. And so you, you say, here is the main point of everything else that I'm going to say, and then the rest of what you write is based on that thesis and is an attempt to prove that what you're saying in that thesis is true. Well, Psalm 23 begins with this thesis statement. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's the thesis statement. And the rest of the psalm is the proof, is the evidence that this is true. Psalm 23 can be divided into... The two main ideas already hinted at right here in the thesis statement in verse 1. In verses 1 to 4, the focus is on who the Lord is 
for his sheep, who he is in himself and in his relationship to the sheep. Who is the Lord for his sheep? Verses 4 to 6 go on to highlight what the Lord does for his sheep. What does he do because of who he is? What he does for the sheep flows out of who he is for the sheep and who he is everlastingly in the covenant for his sheep. And so the Lord is the shepherd of the sheep, verses 1 to 4. The Lord cares for, he supplies what is lacking for, he meets the needs of his sheep. And the first verse summarizes both of those ideas quite well. To understand the full force of the psalm, though, we might paraphrase that first verse in this way. It is because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, not now, not ever, lack anything good for my soul. And I want you to focus there for a moment on that word soul. The world, the world around us does not believe that we have a soul. The world around us does not believe that because it doesn't believe that we are created by a God who has made us in His own image. And yet we who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, even our youngest children, if they're able to recite the young children's catechism, we're able to ask them the question, how do you know that you have a soul? And our youngest children are able to say, because the Bible tells me so. We know that we have a soul because God has revealed it to us in His Word and because our deepest longing, our deepest longing is ultimately for communion with God. And yet there's a part of us, even as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a part of us that does not want that. And that's the flesh. That's our sin nature. And so the Lord commits himself to the care of the sheep to do everything necessary to provide for the needs, not only of their bodies, certainly that, but ultimately of their souls. We're body and soul created in the image of God, made for communion with him eternally. And so what does it mean to be able to say the Lord is my shepherd? Well, first and foremost, it means that he owns us. He owns us. The Lord owns us. Now, we wouldn't speak in that way. We shouldn't speak in that way of human beings. Human beings can't own other human beings. But the Lord is not a human being. The Lord made us, and therefore the Lord owns us. And we also know that the Lord Jesus Christ, if we are believers in Him, has bought us. He bought us with His own precious blood. He, he owns us in the sense of having paid a price for us, the price of his own blood. In the ancient world, sheep were very precious animals, and a shepherd would work hard to be able to own his own flock. Well, here the shepherd is the Lord, the self-existent and eternal God, the one who revealed himself in the burning bush to Moses as I am that I am the everlasting God. The one who, as Moses was tending a flock of sheep for his father-in-law, Jethro revealed himself as Yahweh, as Jehovah, the eternal and unchanging I Am. That's what his name means. That's what those four letters, L-O-R-D, are really saying to us. He is the I Am, the eternally existent one. The one who lacks nothing and the one who depends on no one. God is the one who depends on no one. God doesn't depend on us. God doesn't need us. We need God. He doesn't need us. 
He is the maker and the sustainer of all that is and all that ever was and all that ever will be. And so the Lord owns us on the one hand because He created us. We're His by virtue of His sovereign creative will. But that's not all. For those of us who believe, the Lord owns us because He has redeemed us through His Son, Jesus Christ. In Christ, we become new creatures. We belong to Christ, body and soul, because we've been purchased with the precious price of His own blood. He died for us, and so He owns us in that sense. Now, we need to carefully consider what this means. We live in a culture that seeks autonomy. Autonomy. We might even not even know the meaning of that word and not realize that that is what the culture around us is all about. It's all about autonomy. No one can tell me who I am or what I have been made for. That's autonomy. Nobody can tell me who I am and what I've been made to be and to do. No one can tell me what pronouns to use to describe myself. That's autonomy. Biology is just a social construct, something invented by man. My DNA doesn't define me, doesn't shape me, doesn't have anything to do with who I am or who God has created me to be because if I'm autonomous, I don't need to think in terms of a God who has made me. No one can tell me what I will do with my own body. That's autonomy. That's saying that I don't need anyone to define for me who I am, who I am to be, how I am to live. I am the captain of my own soul, and I will shape my own destiny. That's autonomy. But you see, to affirm any of these things, to say that you believe any of these things, is to lose everything, all of the comfort that's here for you in Psalm 23. If you affirm autonomy, if you affirm that you are the captain of your own soul, then you must necessarily lose all of the comfort that's here offered to you so freely in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will not have any comfort, especially when you come to your deathbed. To affirm any of these things is to lose everything that Psalm 23 is saying to us. It's because the Lord owns His sheep that He is committed to their care. He is the good shepherd who even lays down his life for the sheep. To reject God's ownership of us is to lose something so infinitely precious. It's to lose the shepherding care of God. It's to lose the shepherding care of God. To say that I don't need anyone else to care for me. I don't need anyone else to lead me. I don't need anyone else to define for me who I am and what I ought to be. If I affirm that, then I've lost. If I don't affirm that, then I've lost the shepherding care of God. Psalm 23 has more to say to us. Not only does the Lord own His sheep, but the Lord leads His sheep. And that's a theme that, that goes all the way through the psalm. Sheep have a tendency to wander. And so part of a, a shepherd's responsibility is to lead them to the next field or to the next stream where they can find food and refreshment. And the amazing thing here is that David, who is Israel's king, is comparing himself to a sheep who needs to be led. He's a king. 
He's one of the rulers of this world at that point in time, and yet he understands himself to be under the shepherding care and authority of Almighty God. He's saying to all of God's people that even their earthly shepherd needs a shepherd. Even the king of Israel needs a shepherd. Which of the nations surrounding Israel would have affirmed that? If you read their writings, if you read the things that they carved on stone tablets, you would see the kings of the nations bringing all glory to themselves and no glory whatsoever to God. They proclaimed themselves to be gods. That was how the pagan world operated in the days of David. And here was a king, very different from other kings, a king who was saying he needed a king, or rather, a shepherd. He's saying to all of God's people that they needed a shepherd. David is calling attention to that special covenant relationship that he had with God. It's because David has the Lord as his shepherd, has God as his shepherd, the only true and living God, that Israel and every individual Israelite can say, the Lord is my shepherd because the Lord is David's shepherd. The Lord can also be my shepherd because I am in covenant with God through his representative. Because God is David's God and I am united to David. David's God is my God. David's shepherd is my shepherd. You see, it's one thing to say the Lord is my king. But to be able to say the Lord is my shepherd is to say something else. A shepherd lives with his flock and gives himself for his flock. What king does that? What king comes down to his flock and lives with them? and exposes himself to all of the dangers all around. A shepherd doesn't leave his flock. A shepherd doesn't abandon his flock to wolves. A shepherd is everything to his flock. He leads the flock. He heals the flock. He protects the flock. A shepherd knows his flock intimately. A king is known by all, but doesn't know all as he is known. Not only that, but consider what that David chooses this particular image to communicate his relationship between God and Israel's king. In the ancient world, shepherds were despised. They were hated. Israelites were considered an abomination to the Egyptians because they were a nation of shepherds. Yet David sees the Lord as his shepherd, and the Lord who is revealing these things is not ashamed to reveal himself as a shepherd. While a king has great authority and power, the question is always, how will he exercise that power? Will he exercise that power for himself? Will he lead his people well? But the image of the shepherd communicates to us the idea of one who leads the sheep to green pastures and to still waters, who guides them in paths of righteousness, directing them for their good and their well-being. Who knows? that they have no righteousness of their own, and that He Himself must provide for them the righteousness which they lack. The shepherd is one who leads the sheep and who leads them gently, tenderly, and well, not like one of the lords of the Gentiles, not like a pagan king. Not only does the shepherd own the sheep and lead the sheep, the shepherd also comforts the sheep. And we see that in verses 
2 and 3, the focus there is on the idea of rest. And that concept of rest appears in the Bible from the very beginning. God created all things in the space of six days. And He rested on the seventh day. And He takes delight in His works. And among all that He delights in, the greatest object of His delight is the man and the woman that He has made. Man being made in God's image is capable of enjoying intimate communion with God. This is the purpose for which God created humanity. Do you enjoy intimate communion with God? Do you know God personally? Have you rested in God as your everything, as your all? Through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the only way to know God, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we want communion with God, there's no other way to go except through the Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lays down His life for the sheep so that we might rest ourselves in Him. Rest means resting in and together with God. And that's what man experienced in the Garden of Eden, in that green pasture. But that rest was disrupted by the fall. And that image of a sheep lying down in green pastures pictures the idea of those whom God cares for resting in the safety and the security of His presence and of His provision. How is it possible for a sheep to rest? It's possible because the sheep lies down in the sight of the shepherd who cares for it. The sheep knows that the shepherd is there. And because he's there, he can rest. Are you able to rest in the Lord because you know that the Lord is with you? The shepherd protects the sheep from danger and the sheep know that the shepherd loves him, loves, love him, loves him and is willing to give his life for him. Which brings us to our second point this morning. The Lord saves his sheep. The Lord shepherds the sheep, but the Lord saves his sheep. And the first thing that we want to notice is that David confesses that his Lord is present with his sheep. The presence of the Lord is a constant theme throughout the psalm. And that's where the comfort comes from. It's the presence of the Lord. If you don't know the presence of the Lord, then how can you know the comfort that comes with knowing the presence of the Lord? David specifically calls the Lord my shepherd, my shepherd. He uses that personal pronoun. And so the question then arises, why doesn't David say the Lord is our shepherd? Why doesn't he focus on the corporate experience of God's people? Instead, the focus here is on the personal aspect. But you see, whenever the personal aspect is in the foreground, we really don't want to lose sight of the corporate aspect. Who is David? He's the chosen king of Israel. He's the ruler of the people of God. But the ruler also has the role of a shepherd. It's through that personal connection with the ruler that Israel experiences the fullness of God's presence. Our union with Christ is both personal and corporate at the same time. You see, that's the picture here. Christ is the greater David. Christ is the great shepherd. We're in union with Christ. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ, we're in union with Him. We're connected to Him spiritually. And so we're able to say through our union with Christ that God is my God because God is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way that you can say it, is if you're in union 
with Christ. We come to God through Jesus Christ. And we never, ever, ever, ever relate directly to God apart from Christ. That's actually the error of mysticism. Mysticism says that there's a way to get to God apart from Jesus through meditation or some other man-made means. You can get to God. You can have a direct experience of God without a mediator. You can go to God without going through Jesus Christ. And that is the easy way to God, but it's actually the impossible way to God. It seems easy, and it seems to nourish us in a certain sense. We, we, we think that that would be the, the best thing for us, to be able to go to God on our own terms. But the truth is, that is not a way to God. That is a way that only leads to death and destruction. So what David says of himself, he says of all of us, and what's he saying? He's declaring that because the Lord is his shepherd, he has nothing to fear. What a wonderful thing to to be able to say. Is there anything that causes you fear, anxiety? Do you worry? I don't think there's anybody here, if we were honest, who would say, I don't have any worries, I don't have any concerns, I don't have any anxieties, and yet Jesus is able to say to us, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the things that this world worries about. If God is your God, you have no cause for worry or concern or fear. If Christ is your Savior, you have no reason to fear even the worst thing that we might fear, which is death itself. And yet, we are so often fearful. We are so often afraid, aren't we? Well, Jesus Christ gives us the reasons why we ought not to be afraid. You see, he declares that we come to God through himself and we never, uh, and, and that he is the one who takes away our fears. What David says of himself, he says of all of us. He's declaring that the Lord is his shepherd. He has nothing to fear, that the Lord is with him, not only to protect him from his enemies, but also to provide spiritual blessings, even in the deepest valley of affliction, even in the valley of the shadow of death. The Lord prepares a table in the presence of his enemies, a place of fellowship with himself, and he comforts him with his presence. Think about your life in this world and the dangers and the afflictions and the suffering in this world, the things that you have suffered. And God is saying, I am able to prepare for you a place of comfort and rest and nourishment. We're about to receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which is a picture of all of that. He's able to comfort us even in the midst of enemies who would seek to destroy us. And the world around us is like that. It hates us because it hates the Lord Jesus Christ. And the devil hates us because he hates the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing, however, to fear if we are in Christ. We have nothing to fear, not even death, because Christ has overcome sin and death and the grave. Sometimes my children are afraid of the dark. Maybe you children know what it's like to be afraid of the dark. When you get older, you have fears as well, but maybe you're not so afraid of the dark, but as a child, darkness is a fearful thing. And there are times where 
because of one of my ch children's fear of the dark, I'll climb up on the, the top bunk with that child and hoping that the bunk doesn't come crashing down. And I'll just lie there alongside of that child until he goes to sleep. That's what God does for us. It's his presence in the darkness that comes alongside to comfort us and to let us know that we are not alone, that he is for us, that he is not against us, that he is our God, that he is our Father. He draws near to us in the, by the comforting presence of his Spirit. And he draws near to us in other ways as well. He draws near to us in our worship. He draws near to us. He's there. He's present. We don't see him physically with our eyes, but he's there present. We can know that because he promises that to us. He's also present in the comforting presence of his people. Who of us doesn't know what it's like to be sad, to be discouraged, to be grieving, and to have one of the people of God come alongside and to simply say, I've been praying for you. And we know the comfort of God is present there in the presence of his people. The Lord sets a table for us to feast from every Lord's Day. And that's particularly seen, as we'll see in a moment, in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. The means of grace serve as reminders of God's constant presence with us. He gives us something there to actually look at, something visible, something tangible, something that we can taste, something that we can sense, we can experience with our senses. It's the only thing that He gives us like that. We don't need laser light shows in the, in the church to experience the presence of God. But we do have the sacraments. He gives, us that. he gives us that because he knows we're weak. He knows that we need that. He knows that we need some physical, tangible evidence of his presence among us. The means of grace serve as reminders of God's constant presence with us and his care for us through his Holy Spirit. And he promises to work through them. He promises to be present in them. He abundantly provides for his sheep. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. You may not be feeling very joyful this morning. You may not be feeling it. But the promise is there. In his presence is fullness of joy. And where is he present? Of course, he's present everywhere in the world. But he's especially present, especially present in the worship of his people. And so on those days when you're feeling discouraged, on those days when you're feeling no joy whatsoever, and you question whether or not you even want to be in church, that's the place where you need to be the most because that's where God's presence is. He abundantly provides for his sheep in his presence. And there, there's fullness of joy. The picture, the picture here in Psalm 23 is a picture of that costly oil being poured on the head a practice that was done for priests and kings. David, having been anointed by Samuel, he's probably recalling that very moment. He's never been forsaken by the Lord. He's always received what is necessary for his salvation. And that pouring out of the oil is a reminder that God will not only be with his people now, but forever. Anointing is the promise of God's presence. And so David's confident declaration in verse 6 is that the Lord preserves his sheep forever. 
David knows what it's like to be away from God's presence. He's been on the run from from Saul for years. He's been driven out of Jerusalem by a rebellious son. He's experienced an even worse kind of exile than that, walking in unrepentant sin for a year or more and being far from God. He knows the feeling of being unable to pray. He knows the feeling, he knows what it's like to turn against his shepherd. Perhaps you know what that's like to turn against your good shepherd who laid down his life for you. I know I know I do. He knows what that's like. Yet he also knows that despite his sin, no matter how great it has been, his shepherd will not let him go because he's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd who saves the sheep and gives them everything necessary for their salvation. Do you know what that's like? Are you wandering from the Lord this morning? Sometimes we can wander and no one else will even know. But the Lord knows. The Lord knows. David had confidence in the goodness and the mercy of the Lord. It would follow him. It would pursue him. It would overtake him. It would overwhelm him and consume him. Because he had the Lord as his shepherd. And the Lord was not going to let him go. The Lord cared for him. The Lord was leading him. The Lord was sanctifying him. And the Lord would preserve him all the way home. Do you know what's amazing about Psalm 23? It begins in the pasture. A dirty, filthy sheep. And it ends in the palace. What shepherd ever invites a sheep into his house? But you see, by the end of Psalm 23, the sheep has become something else. The sheep has become a son. That's what God does for us. These words are a great confession of faith. It's one thing to say that you believe in God, to say that you believe in the Bible, to say that you believe the doctrines set forth in the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms. You might believe all of those things. But can you say these words? And say them from the heart. The Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. The Lord is 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 my shepherd. If so, you will know his shepherding care not only in this life, but in the life of the world to come. They shall neither hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelation seven sixteen to 17. Amen. Let us pray. Our great God and Father, we thank you for your shepherding care. We pray that you would shepherd us now as we approach your table. That you would build us up in our faith. That you would nourish and strengthen us by your grace. That you would use these simple elements, the bread and the wine, to remind us again that you are with us and that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And that you have provided everything necessary for our salvation, body and soul. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.